How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jay. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 32. We're making progress. Getting old. Towards the train. Yeah, I know. We're getting really old. We're going to hit 100 and then just drop dead. Drop dead. Even that's pretty optimistic. This is like... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we we look after ourselves here at the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. Maybe you do. (laughs) <laughs> I'm a mess, man. I've been getting chest pains all weekend. Um, really? I, I I can admit okay. it's probably my eating habits. <laughs> it's probably what it is. But, you need um, to have less sugar as I drink this iced coffee full of sugar. Yeah, I know. You're like sloping into the mic earlier. Yep. Was, <laughs> it was obnoxiously test. squirting. Went I'm like, I'm but kind of That was one of our longest sets. This has been the one of the longest pre-show. Yeah, I know. We could have done a whole show on the pre-show. Probably. But just, just chatting, gossiping, figuring out what we're doing next. <laughs> it's a long road. <laughs> Come on with some good ideas, though. So I'm sure we'll talk about them some point maybe in the show or in a future yeah. show. Well, it's, like, it's like when Kevin Feige comes in, he's like, we have the future of the MCU to 2023. And it, it's almost like what we're done just then. We're it must like... be a bit awkward <laughs> given the events of the last week. Oh, R.O.P. Spidey. Yeah. You know what? I was really surprised at how much I didn't care about that whole new story. Really? Yeah, like, I just... Because I've been telling you off the show that, like, the more I think about Far From Home, the more I was just, just, just disappointed with it. Do you and feel like it was the rose-tinted goggles that, like, made you like it more in the Probably. The just like the, oh, Tom Holland. like oh, the Phantom Spider-Man. Menace uh, syndrome. Yeah, in a way. And then the more... I mean, if I rewatched Spider, I'd be like, oh, okay, it kind of holds... I don't know. I honestly don't know. But the more I think about it, I'm just like, eh, I really couldn't care less about that film. I mean, I'm inclined to agree with you. When I walked out of the theatre, I can't say I felt underwhelmed, but... I guess I was underwhelmed when yeah. I really, if I really think about it, particularly the second, the second act is very structural. I think I even talked about it on the episode Probably, that we talked yeah. about it. It feels like it kind of plods along and is waiting for the Gyllenhaal reveal. Mm. Um, up until that point, it doesn't really have the the same weight. It's messy. It's a messy film. A yeah. Bit. I mean, it's a, it, it didn't have the best uh, start because obviously it's the first one after all of the penultimate. Oh, yeah, thing. the end game events, yeah, if you will. Which I liked all that stuff. Yeah. I said it on the show. I just think the more I think about like the plot, all the elements that they have to end, it's funny because they have their, what, the elementals <laughs> in there. That's totally a crash rough of Cortex <laughs> ripoff right there. Um, but <laughs> the more I think about all the individual elements of the film and yeah. how they kind of puzzle piece them together, I was like, oh, I don't know. I just don't care. No, that's fair. Yeah. Anyway, though, Jake, how, what have you catched in the last week? Caught. Uh, caught. Catched. Catch. Like what Pokemon. I'm a writer, <laughs> as you can tell. <laughs> caught them like a Pokemon, eh? Well, Still, I, I defend that movie. That came out on Blu-ray the other, like, last week, Detective like, Pikachu. Yeah, it was, it's out now. Seriously, yeah. from a visual effects standpoint, that film is like... And then also, honestly, it was like... My dream come true as like a twelve year old, which we talked about it on the episode. I think it was episode like, twenty one. You can go check but, that out. That discussion. Oh, I want to buy it, but it's like thirty dollars. I hate paying thirty bucks well, for I got a Blu-ray. A, I got a code. I can lend it to you. That's like a twenty percent off the deep Blu-ray. Or alrighty, I'm not even joking because they when I got my Endgame copy on Blu-ray, they gave me like a code. Like, oh, mm. here you go. It's twenty percent off. Tech. No, this is literally. I got up to the desk and I gave her Endgame, and I think this is. I bought a couple of um albums. I bought the Once mm-hmm. album. Um, like the physical disc and stuff, and I went to the counter, and then she just she's scanning the thing. She just looks me right in my eyes through my soul. She's like, "Are you a Pokemon fan?" <laughs> my gut reaction was to be offended, and then I'm just like, "Shh, 
sure. But you're not, yeah, but you're not super... I liked the movie, but you're right. I'm not really a fan fan. You're not a super fan. But I said sure, because I, I did kind of enjoy the movie. I don't know if I asked it on the episode, but I'm going to ask you now. Okay. Um, Seeing as this episode has already started off on almost like a retro sort of grade, we're just quoting episodes that have come beforehand <laughs> with your one CD. And... I know, I know. It's self-referencing. Um, but what would be the next sort of like anime live action hybrid you'd do oh my god where would you go well i remember i actually i was watching one of those like there's a youtube channel called pretty much it that does commentaries on films and they're hilarious check them out on youtube they did one on dragon ball evolution that i rewatched yesterday oh really and i was like holy crap this movie's so bad i did not realize how bad it was that's a film that honestly had it had it had like the right crew i'm pretty sure one of those dragon ball movies was made in australia by the way oh really in south australia oh gosh so there's this big i apologize there's this big uh hoopla (laughs) about the west australian film industry and they're doing uh, mortal kombat now that's cool I think it was the more. Yeah, I think it was. We're uh, shooting now. Uh, I think so. There, yeah. Um, in West Australia, there are a lot of uh, famous films that are associated internationally. Yep. That are situated around West Australian things, but they're not filmed in Western Australia. Mm. Big example is one of like synonymous with like live horror is sort of um, Wolf Creek. Yeah. A film that's set in what is considered to be, I think it's Northern WA. Um, if I remember correctly, uh, yeah, like I couldn't. North, I can't remember. Northern WA is shot in South Australia, mm. and then Rabbit Proof Fence, which is literally oh my god, I love shot that movie. in South yeah, shot in South Australia. Yeah. I've never seen it. I've got it on Blu-ray. Still haven't watched I've it. I've seen I've seen that film like a dozen times. That's crazy. Not even just for school. I think we actually taped it off Foxtel or something years and years and years ago, and I rewatched that tape over and over and over again. Mm. Oh. And then the last time I saw it was my Year Twelve music tour. We just played it. Yeah. We Maybe. must have we must have been on like Seiko Ground or something. I honestly can't remember. No, we watch I just think it's interesting because there's all these movies that are set in. Isn't in there a thing with Fury Road as well? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of them just ignore WA, and there's a lot of hoopla as to why that is. It's generally to do with funding bodies and all that. Yeah, technical yeah, exactly. Prowess and South Australia just seems to endorse bigger. it a bit more. Yeah. They just endorse these films okay. more. They're they're willing to take gambles. That's fair. I think we need a bit more of that. That's a bit political for this point in the show. Jake, what have you caught in the last week? I was going to say, well, to answer your question real quickly with the anime live action, I have no clue. One Piece, maybe? I liked One Piece as a kid. Yeah. Hasn't aged well. Go back and watch the first season. I've heard it hasn't aged well. Yeah. It's like, Mm. it's not good. (laughs) Keep those Um, rose-tinted goggles. Yeah, exactly. Well, I watched the doco... That I mentioned last week on the show, and I forgot the name for it, and Jesse and you'll actually message me after reminding me the name of the stocko, uh, which is called uh, Shriekers, I think. Okay. It's S... Let me read it. It's S-H-I-R-K-E-R-S. Shriekers, so Shirkers... I, I think it's Shirkers. Maybe. They say it in the doco. I shouldn't know this. I'm going to call it Shriekers for now. I believe that's what it is. Um, but basically, uh, like I alluded last week, but now I, um, I've i actually found it and watched it this time in preparation for the show. So this is uh, the story of, you know, these young filmmakers. The doco itself, and I swear I... Yes, I did. So Sandy Tan wrote and directed the mm-hmm. doco, and she also, when she was like maybe 16 or 18, uh, wrote this film. 
mm-hmm. and it was going to be it was actually like kind of a big deal within the Singapore community in 1992 that were making this film and it was you know it was kind of like me when I was making my film when I was like 12 years old yeah. very like kind of silly and fun but like everyone got into it it was like a fun mm-hmm. thing and this guy um, who ended up kind of directing it and kind of leading the charge named George and he was a much older person ran away with all the film stock all the film really? roles. yeah so 70 rolls of film he just disappeared with it and it took him like 20 years uh, before they could actually catch on to mm-hmm. Um, this whole story. And that's kind of what the doco follows is the process of this film and then the aftermath of it essentially being stolen. And um, I thought it was a good doco. It very much, it does that thing with a lot of docos we've seen this year, like Fire and Tickled, which it's this kind of mystery element to it, but it ultimately leads to villainizing this one person and it becomes almost a character dissection of this person. Um, I, I love that. Yeah. And the, the, it's that playful hook that leads you into exactly, a darker yeah, room, basically. Exactly. Yeah. It's literally what it is. And I mean, that's one of the reasons I was like, okay, with the docker, like I enjoyed it, but I feel like I've seen that type of docker way too many times this year. Okay. Like it works in fire, it works in tickled. It kind of works here, but at the same time, I'm, I'm like, I've, I've seen this a lot. Um, that's fair. But the, the doco works in its own ground. And it was it was nice that they added this like quirky aesthetic to it, like the way they play with graphics and like the the stuff they cut to between the interviews. Really meta as well. Like some of the interviews, she would host the interviews herself. Mm-hmm. And she would interview her friends from the time who helped make them. And sometimes they would just like break the interview where they would just start getting into arguments. And it's all in the film. And I'm like, this is kind of cool and bold. I like this. The Sandy Tan. I like what you're doing there. But eventually... Um, without without spoiling things, but um, there is a semi-conclusive element to it, and I kind of like the whole thing is wrapped around this idea of you know films are time capsule, mm-hmm. and you know when you make films, it's representative of the time and the place in the context of that film, and it really reminded me of the video I shared with you, um, Austin McConnell's video on I made I made a movie it stunk on, or it sucked on it YouTube, sucked. yeah, um, which has a very similar theme of like. It's more so the experience of the making of that film mm-hmm. and your personal ties to it more so than the film itself. That's one of my... I remember that video. Mm. Uh, Please watch it, guys. It's phenomenal. And you put it up probably a long time before I actually watched it. I just watched yeah. it one time when it was on my feed. Mm. Okay. So I was watching a lot of sort of just film stuff and then it just popped up and I was like, oh, I remember Jake recommending this and then I watched it. And it's one of those, it's it's just grabs you. And yeah. it's really, really relatable, I guess. Um, I still have not pushed into the sort of feature part of my <laughs> my journey, but yep. um, I definitely understand the building up steam, but then hitting mm-hmm. a brick wall and trying to get your head around hitting that brick wall, basically. It's definitely all the worst parts of a collaborative process, especially in the case of the doco, but also in Austin's video. It's a very good video. Yeah. And it's it's up there on YouTube. It's easy to watch. It's easy to find. That is he is literally my favorite YouTuber of all time, uh, from now on, just because it's such a personal video. And I followed him long before I even knew he was a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. So that video just kinda of popped up in my feed one day and I was like, Wow. Well, wow, it's wow, interesting because wow. uh, honestly yeah. I, I tried to watch a couple of other his videos and just didn't stick with me. Oh, uh, his other videos? Yeah. Oh, fair enough. But that one did, because that one felt so honest. Yeah, that's my that's my like problem with a lot of YouTube based anyway. A lot of them put up caricatures of themselves, mm. and I've always liked very much 
with that sort of watch, watching to be... I try and push more to be educated now, so I like listening to video essays, which are very much like someone's written an essay and they're just reading it and they're delivering it with educational, a... educational, yeah. Yeah, I love my video essays and I love someone that's willing to be like, hey, I have this insight on this film mm. and now I'm going to justify it. I talked about the... Uh, i got to get the name of the YouTube. I'm going to find it, but there was a Linklater uh, one that okay. I talked about a couple of weeks ago with his relation between masculinity and the three three films of that masculine trilogy mm. being uh, Days and Confused, Boyhood, and uh, Everybody Wants Some. Yeah. I've been on a bit of a TV tear this, probably this last month of the podcast. Uh, yeah, keep, you've been talking about it a bit, eh? a lot of A lot of TV shows, but this one I didn't expect to go. So I went to... I get a lot of my DVDs generally from the op shop because um, I don't really care for Blu-ray as much as you and Jack do. Mm, I love um, me some Blu-rays. I will get a Blu-ray if I seriously love the film or I find a Blu-ray in the op shop and then I have a Blu-ray of that thing. Like, I have The Descendants on Blu-ray. <laughs> I like The Descendants. I don't think I would have bought it on Blu-ray if it was full price. But What, what did I buy the other week that I had to carry around with me like all night? Oh, it was um, uh, Death Proof. Death Proof. I found Death Proof for six bucks on Blu-ray at Cashies with you um, before we went to watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. And I just had to carry the Blu-ray around me all night. It was, you know, it was so really, great. really good. But yeah. it's it's like, yeah, so I, I, I don't mind because if a DVD's a, a DVD's a dollar and yeah. it's like a movie you haven't seen, then and generally older DVDs have all the special features on them. Yeah, um, they used to be better back in the day. Because, yeah, there wasn't a, kind of an alternative DVD were the Blu-ray. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, sure, you don't get as much of a quality image, but most of the, like, not every film is shot, like, amazingly. And then there are some uh, 4x3 conversions into 16x9, mm. which are terrible, where yeah, they, like, yeah, reveal yeah. way too much. Well, I was and telling you about this. Was it Buffy? Yeah, you said. I think like, it was Buffy that they, like, the conversion was horrible when they brought that to HD. Yeah, so, um, not too fussed uh, about that stuff, but I've got... Um, couple of tv shows so i started mm. watching uh community again uh community was the show that for me probably was actually the show that I've, if i really look back on it was the first time i ever was like hey i want to make film because it was just wow, okay it's weird to think yeah. about that because it's like i was i didn't really know until i was honestly like here at university probably when i was 19 was definitely mm. the moment where i was like yeah this is what i want to do for the rest of my life but I definitely, I started to lean to that direction when I was like 15, 16, and I was watching this show religiously, particularly the first four seasons of the show, because mm-hmm. I think the fifth one hadn't been released at this point. The fifth one got released, and I kind of stopped watching the show, came back to it after it had finished its runtime in the sixth season, but the first four seasons I watched... Religiously. Yeah, eight or nine times. <laughs> uh, and I'd I'd get to the end of season four and be like, right, and then restart it again. It was insane. Because it used Suck to be my, like, I used to come home from school and just watch it. And yeah. I sat down and was like, all right, maybe I was just, this was just my routine. I was just reading into it. Um, no, no, no. I sat down, I watched the first episode, watched the pilot, yeah. and it was it was brilliant. It's so clever. And it really comes back to, I watched it as a show and was entertained by it as a show when I was 16, but as an adult, I went, okay, why is this show so good? It's like, well, at the end of the day, Dan Harmon, despite a lot of the kind of the behind the scenes scrutiny he has had, he's had multiple sort of ebbs and flows. Right. And that led him to Rick and Morty, eh? 
Yeah, he got show. fired, but they got rehired, and then there was other Jesus sort of stuff. Con. You know, he's he's had a real roller coaster. Mm. He is one of the best minds in cinema. He has a a way of structuring stories which is now regarded. I mean, he's uh, a huge hero's journey guy, isn't he? Yeah, but he has his own developmental one. It's okay. like, so it's not thirteen stages, only eight. And That's right. I have seen. And he has on this, yes. he and his Harmon wheel is actually used in practice by other people. Which mm. to have a theory uh, and to have a procedure that is then replicated by other creators just goes to show how successful and good the formula is. Yeah. And then you also had the Russo brothers on the earlier seasons, like before they went in, you know, got all big in the MCU. Big old MCU like, train. Think about this. Like, they went from, I think it was Community Season 3 to... They were definitely in Season 1, but uh, I'm mm. not sure about 2 and 3. But they jumped from that into Captain America, like Winter Soldier and stuff like that. I mean, it just shows you... And this this is what I love about... um, I mean, say what you want to say now, but I think MCU, especially in that second phase area when they started bringing in James Gunn and all these other directors, I really love some of the decisions they made in terms yeah. of who they looked to. Like, oh, let's look at some of the directors from Community and put them in this massive blockbuster film and look yeah. how it all turned out. You know? and, uh, and, it was, it. and the show's just really fresh because it also takes... I was telling you before the show, it took a bunch of people that... Some of them had only had minor roles. Some of them didn't have mm. any roles that were like of note to this point. And they were given an opportunity to showcase themselves. And it's actually funny because if you watch the Russo brothers films, some of the community cast do sneak their way in and in little cameos oh, like, here and um, there. What's his name in? Uh, yeah. I think it's Danny Pudi, um, who yep. plays Arbed. He's in winter soldier. He's one of the uh, oh, yeah. control operators. And um, oh, killing myself. The, the security guard in the, in Endgame. He sees Paul Rudd get spat out of the van. Oh, um, Ken Ken Jong. Ken Jong. Yep. Oh, I knew Ken that. Jong. How yeah, the Ken hell Jong. did I not know that? Um, <laughs> yeah, great. But like, and, and for him, that was his like break. That were him and that and Hangover were his big things. I was gonna say, was that before Hangover? A community was two thousand nine. Wow. Okay, I see. Yep. So yep. that all came into place kind of around the same time. Yeah, so yeah. he he clicked. But I mean, and you actually—it's so everything from like its cultural legacy too. It's like there are so many like gifts and like little little snippets that are from the show. Yeah, they get it's popular. Replayed. It's huge. Yeah, and it, it comes back from a time where they were trying to follow up. The office had just finished. Yep. Parks and Rec hadn't hit full steam yet. Uh, so there was a Brooklyn was, Nine Nine was around the corner. Brooklyn Nine Nine was a couple of years out. Yep. Um, How I Met Your Mother was. In the middle, but like kind of it's in a different sort of genre, how I met your yeah. mother. It's more mainstream. Big Bang. <laughs> yeah, Big Bang was probably I in, guess, yeah. But yeah. in that sort of type of style, there was there was that void to fill and Um they did it for a while and it's a really good season of, yeah. of television. It's just funny. It's edgy too. Are you talking about the first season? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I will probably be talking about I won't talk too much about it because I have talked about that show a lot. Um I like it. We're, we're walking like with a crowd of people, and then like I turn around, and you're talking about community to someone again. <laughs> it's so. I I need it. Everyone needs to watch it. If you haven't watched it, it's like, it's. I think it's better than Brooklyn Nine Nine, and I think it Fair actually enough. takes a lot of risks and harm, and you can really see the seeds of why everyone likes Rick and Morty. Definitely has become the mainstream Harmon show. And I think that's a shame because I honestly think Community has a lot more heart than Rick and Morty does. Yeah. Um, I think Rick and Rick Morty... Rick and Morty is a... 
pushes some boundaries in, in the heart department, I would yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes it, it it walks that fine line of being a little bit like, because it's so extreme on one front, it doesn't have the same sort. Maybe it's the performances. I don't know. I, I just feel like, and I like Rick and Morty, yeah, but it never yeah. hit the same notes that this show did. You get uh, your wow moments, but they're never sad or emotionally pulling. I don't yeah, think. and I think this show had a very... Maybe it's to do with just how amazing the characters were mm. and how, like, each of them by the end of the first season is important. Yeah. Like, that to me, to set off and be, like, seven people, each of these characters, by the end of it, you're going to care about, mm. you know? And they're all going to have moments in this season where it feels like you need to care about all seven of these characters. Not one, but all seven. And I think that's really impressive. It's Um, definitely within the first, the confines of a first season, you're right. Usually you need to get your footing kind of set right. I will admit, even Bojack needs a couple of seasons for certain characters. I think. Particularly, I think that's. Mr. Peanut Butter takes a while to find his footing, I feel like. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, honestly, yeah. I'm like trying to like look back on that. And yeah, I'd say he'd be the one that needed a bit more. I think that first season's very much a Diane Bo Bojack season. Yeah. Well, even just within the first season, it's like synonymously known. I don't want to change into a Bojack discussion, but like the the, the turning point. You did it point so in, easily, though. I know. Well, <laughs> but even the turning point in that first season for most people is like, okay, this is a good show now. Is when they start focusing on the side characters. When Princess Carolyn has like a whole episode to herself. Yeah. When Diane gets a whole episode to herself, you know. Uh, the one where. Yeah, when it hits, she's 40. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's that's the first, literally like... the turning point where I was like, oh, shit, this show's really I, good. I think I'd actually say that there's an episode, I think it's like episode, oh, I think it's the first Halloween episode. And then if you watch Community, each season has a uh, Halloween yeah. episode. And it's the first time you really go like, wow, this is like, I'm starting to like, yeah. Get or even it. mid-season, uh, there's a Christmas episode that's kind of the same. But... I would, I would 100%. I'm going to try and sell you. You sold me on Bojack. I'm going to try and sell you on Community. That's my... Uh... No, it's a fair play because I do I do owe you a show at this point. <laughs> I just I need to get you to watch Better Call Saul and then I'll have two shows that I well, have to get off you. Um, another season, uh, first opening pilot season, that mm. does a really good job with a really large cast, is The Walking Dead, believe it or not. And this was another show that I found in the op The shop. Walking Dead, Walking Dead? Yeah, The Walking Dead. That's a pretty small cast, though. What, the first season, you mean? The first season. Oh, okay. I thought you said episode. No, no. Sorry. The first season. So, another one of these DVDs no, I found just point. hanging around was uh, the first season of The Walking Dead, and I was like, yeah. oh, here we go. I'm going to finally <laughs> do it. I'm going to finish this stupid show. Uh, I'm going to sit down and watch it. and Not the whole series. Why I... not? <laughs> no, dude, don't even... Wait until I'm groaning. Well, we're going to be groaning about look, 13 look, Reasons Why even, soon. Even... I gave up on Walking Dead. I don't give up on TV shows. <laughs> I don't, and I gave up on Walking Dead. I saw um my my mate Liam showed me Carl's death, and I was like, <laughs> I just don't forget he's like an old Carl. He's like twenty now. I think I I didn't make it up to his death, but I I think I saw that episode. Like I saw that scene on YouTube or something like yeah. that. Just what a dumb. Why would you do that? Oh well. The the thing is that and first now Rick's season, gone as well. Like, what yeah. is this? What's happened? That first season is it's pretty brilliant. Mm. I'm not gonna lie, it's a really good. It almost feels like first two se- first three seasons are great. I know. And anyone that says the second season sucks, uh, the reason you care about all those characters oh, is because no. of the second season. Hits it, Jack. I'm guessing. Um, yep. Uh, but <laughs> no, the first season is really good because it almost feels. 
and it actually, I, I found this weird, right? Mm. Apparently there are six episodes in the first season, right? Isn't there seven? I think there's, there might be, there might, might be, be thinking of Breaking Bad. But the way but yeah. it's the way it's structured, it almost feels like three episodes, but they're three movie episodes. Okay, that's a good way of looking at um, it. In the sense that the first episode finishes with him in the tank, and what a what an amazing pilot! Mm. Uh, like that last that, shot is great as well. Watch that pilot, guys! Like seriously, like I've read the script for it. The pilot. It's, it's amazing. It's a good script, yeah. It's so well done. Like, Fr- Frank Darapon, Dera- I think it is. Darapon. I think so. Um, I couldn't tell you. It's a great season of television. It really <laughs> is. It's It makes it makes every character, once again, mean something and mm. care. And none of them... You know, it's funny. I had a very negative opinion of a lot of the female cast and how they were written in that show. In that first season, it's not bad at all. They're actually really well. They're not... Uh, I don't remember much from that. F- I've seen it a few times that first season, but... All... Of the characters are well written. All of them feel like they have motives. You know who's who. Yep. And every death carries weight in that season, which is amazing when you think about there's only six episodes to care about you know, like eight or nine different characters. And when a couple of them do die, you're yeah. like, oh, that actually meant something to me. What's, um, what's her name again? Is it Coral? She's For... in the first season. but Carol? Carol, yeah. yeah. And she's she's probably my favorite character in the whole show. Really? Her transformation throughout is like mm. incredible. Like by the time you get to season five, and she's like blowing shit up with like a bazooka, I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> I, I remember watching the show because the show would have like I remember watching once again. It was a high school show. I watched it with high school. You watched Breaking Bad. You watched Walking Dead, and you watched Game of Thrones. And yeah, yeah. Um, I remember being really frustrated. I always thought that female characters were really obnoxious, but watching this season now. Honestly, all of them are written pretty, pretty good. But I, I mean, I still think John Bernthal should have been in that show longer as Shane because he was just so he's really good in that just, show. He, oh my god! The two seasons he's in there, he is just he has he's the best villain of the show because he had the most reason to be a villain. Mm. Um, and I think that's what's always been like eating at me, I guess. But, but he's never just, in it just wanted to do a quick side note with that one. I really enjoyed. No, that first season enough. again. He is, I love that I like his the little, style. little head scratch thing. Oh, he's got that going on for a while, his bald head. <laughs> he's he's so good. Cast John Bernathorn and stuff. Mate, John, if you're listening, I would cast you and stuff. I mean, he's in, he was in Punisher. I guess that's not a thing anymore. No. Baby Driver, he was good in that. Yeah. For little his... mini role, though. Keeps getting mini roles. Mm. I will cast you as a lead. <laughs> you heard it here first that's my, that's on the Cinema Sideship Podcast. Zeke Morgan Hyde will cast you in anything. I would. I literally would. I would write a movie specifically for you. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. The faces in the crowd feature. Oh, I'm not sure John would work for that. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. Okay, back that's to you, fair. Jake. Um, back to me, Jake. Nah. Um, no, well, I've, I've watched a bit of TV as well, so I can get into it. Um, I won't talk too much about 13 Reasons Why, because I've, I've, I've seen the whole... It came out Friday. I've already How seen... How many episodes are there? 13, again. Um <sighs> Yeah, no, they always do that thing of like, it has to be 13. I have to give you uh, props and... for making me laugh with your snap story. Oh, um, well, oh. <laughs> I remember it this. It was a, yep. a eulogy that Jake <laughs> delivered, basically, to the show. <laughs> basically shitting on it and saying what every fan... Like, literally what you did was what sums up the entire fan base of 13 Reasons Pretty Why. Pretty much, yeah. We hate the show. We despise it. It's so disgusting. But now I'm just going to binge watch the whole season. Literally. I binged all 13 episodes over two days. 
um, with Jack. In fact, Jack only just finished it while we're recording. He just texted me all his opinions on the last few episodes. Very strong opinions, I might add. Um, I... I'm not going to get into it because you're going to watch this next week, aren't you? Yeah, so by next week, this will be your week in advance spoiler warning. That's a good point. You've got to wait to watch it, guys. Uh, we will talk about the show next week. Cool. But um, I'll just give some very quick impressions. I think this is probably the least harmful season or the least offensive season, I guess. In That's this, surprising. It is a bit... Uh, I, I think they finally figured it out. I mean, the fact that they even got rid of the actual suicide scene in season one, they finally like went back and got rid of it. The fact that they did that kind of tells you, okay, maybe they chilled the hell out for the season a little bit. It's still like ridiculous soap drama and like all this crazy and the whole like who done it with Bryce Walker's like insane. Like I was not unconvinced that my theory of time travel was going to happen until literally the, sh- the credits roll. And I was like, oh, I guess they didn't do the time travel thing. It's a bit of a spoiler <laughs> to you that they don't do the time travel thing. Oh, the okay. last episode is literally called um, Let the Dead Bury the Dead. And I sent it to Jack being like, surely that means Hannah Baker's going to do some time travel. <laughs> I was so convinced, Zeke. I was so convinced. But, I love um, that. Nevertheless, it didn't happen. Spoiler alert, there's no time travel in the, the MCU. Oh, I, I mean, uh, the 13 Reasons Why Cinematic Universe. Um, I'll get into it next week with you, but eh, it's 13 Reasons Why. If you like the show, it's not worse than it used to be. That's all I can Is say. Is this the best season? You see, I was telling Jack this. I can't... All the seasons melt together because I only remember like 10% of what happens in each, <laughs> in each season. Um, I was kind of shocked that I actually remembered all the characters. Like, I I dumped, I dived into this. My Netflix forgot to give me the recap. Like, it just jumped straight into the episode. And I was like, I kind of remember all the characters and their names. That's... Like, <laughs> I was shocked by that. I was like, I really shouldn't be... Oh, uh, just... I don't know. <laughs> it's interesting you're saying least offensive. I thought we would really get the most offensive, so no. it's really kind of a shame. It is a bit of a uh, yeah. This sounds like a real. It sounds yeah. like we're gonna walk away really anticlimactic with this one. A, a little bit in in the sense I'll say it, it's it feels like the characters have actually kind of chilled out a tiny bit in the sense that but, the characters were like <laughs> so ridiculously evil people in the first two seasons. Now it just feels like okay, they've they they seem a little bit more normal. This but that's dealing. annoying. We've already went down the rabbit hole. But too that's much. what I'm saying. Now they're just dealing with the repercussions of their evil actions in seasons one and two. So now this is like a boring like, season. Without getting into it, and Ugh. you can kind of predict the fact that they're going to try and make Bryce a little bit more sympathetic in this season if they're going to kill him off. You can kind of guess that's what they're going to try and do, and they do a little bit. But it's still like, oh, they try and make him do be a little nicer in general. But he still did all the things he did in the first two seasons. Yeah. So it's physically impossible to make him like. Well, this, this has point. been a this has been the the consistent debate is none of the characters earn redemption because they're past the point of redemption. Exactly. So that's that's pretty much what this season is. Is like they they're attempting, but it's too late. They're too far gone. And as point, this seems so like proper. a shame. I'm gonna have a boring boring viewing experience for this yeah, show. Yeah, I'm curious to see what. I mean, I know what you're gonna think. And we're going to have very passive thoughts on it, but we, we can talk about it a bit more next week. No worries. Um, another show that I watched, a much a far better show. So my sister got Stan a few weeks ago, Ooh. and I was finally able to... to S kinda... to the T to the A to the N. <laughs> I was finally able to bump that you know, S-T-A-N password off her. Uh, so I finally watched a show I've been wanting to watch for the last year called Kidding, which is the Jim Carrey show. Um, and it's kind of his... Um, what's the word? It's his... 
um, revival uh, collaboration with uh, Michael Gordry, who was the director of the Eternal Sunshine. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like their little collaboration return to do this show. And yeah, it's a show about this um, very much... Uh, what's his name? Tom Hanks is playing him later this year. Um, Mr. Rogers. It's kind of like he's Mr. Rogers. Like he's mm-hmm. this... Um, presenter on this child's or children's show with like puppeteers and stuff and he's like this universally very nice man he is a very nice person mm-hmm. um in real life as well but it, it, this is the kind of show where it's like they're gonna do everything they can like bad to this person to try and destroy all goodness in him and i really like that concept okay a lot i think they do a good job i've there's definitely some stuff in the first half of the season where tonally's a little mixed up like Oh, look, there's a side story of, oh, these two puppeteers, are, you know, they're having sex, but they don't want anyone to know about it, and it's cutesy and funny, and here's a random shot of this guy giving another guy a hand job, Haha. But it, they kind of die down on all that and kind of mm-hmm. focus on the more serious side of Jim Carrey's character. So it, it eventually pays off, and like especially what happens at the end of the first season is like, oh, here we go, trains roll, and this feels very, like, only one season so far? Uh, yes, but season two comes out in November. Yeah. So it's not too far. Cool. Um, but I, re- I really liked it. There's some great moments in it. The camera work is, and some of the direction is fantastic. Mm-hmm. The, all the puppeteer stuff, they utilize that really well. Um, and yeah, just some great scenes. There's one scene in particular in episode four where it's Jim Carrey and his wife having like an argument because he generally is a good person. I don't want to spoil what he does, but he's doing something that you might find very questionable, but it's that kind of thing of like someone screws you over and you still try to go out of your way to be nice to this person. Mm-hmm. And without spoiling anything, if you've seen the show, you probably know what I'm talking about. And him and his wife get into this massive argument. Just some of the, the way they do with the lighting and the camera to tease at Jim Carrey, just about to break down and lose his shit. And then all of a sudden he just gets this one text, which if you've seen the episode, you know what the text is. And all of a sudden, the lights go back to normal, and the camera goes back down, and he's like temporarily cleared from his like evil mess and just stuff like that. I was like, "This show's good." So, kidding, season one, watch it on stand right now. But yeah, that's pretty sweet. I'm like, I, I've got to get Stan, I reckon, because there's probably a couple of things on there I want to watch. Yeah, Is that, that show. I remember seeing a trailer for it. It intrigued me. Okay, it's intriguing, and I'd say get through those first few episodes. Because some of the stuff they get into and towards the end is like, oh, baby, yeah, this is good. No worries. Well, do you want to move into our film of the week? Uh, might as or well. Career, you don't have any career, career stuff? You have any career stuff? Um, or you want to keep it on down low for now? No, nah, it's pretty chill. As we announced, uh, Hitched was uh, an official project greenlit by ZKJ Productions. ZKJ Productions. week, and uh, we're just moving forward with that. Little bits at a time. I've shown you some cool behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah, I'm getting some teasers of uh, what's going on. Do you have anything to talk about in your career front? Um, yeah. Disconnected, out on DVD, buy it. Well, that, that's the thing. Since the last episode, it's officially out, so... Oh, there you go. Um, so there you go. Golf if you're going... Uh, oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> you got your copy. I do. Well, you had yours since the last episode already. I did. But um, people are buying it now, and... Uh, Limited stock before I would have to re uh, reship, I guess, new copies. So if you want a DVD, go right ahead to www.clickerproduction.com slash store slash disconnected DVD. No worries. Well, let's move into our film of the week. Jake, what are we watching? Cool. So based on the suggestion I made last week, we're watching mm-hmm. the poetic 1982 doco 
Koya Nisquatsi. Drawing is title from the Hopki word meaning life out of balance. This renowned documentary reveals how humanity has grown apart from nature. Featuring extensive footage of nature landscapes and elemental forces, the film gives way to many scenes of modern civilization and technology. Now, so this was a film that uh, a poetic docker that came out in 1982 that I suggested. Uh, you're giving me a very deaf stare right now. So <laughs> you had no idea what this was going into Absolutely it. Absolutely not. So, and then when I saw... <laughs> the title come up to my screen. I, first off, I did one of two things. I went, oh, this, this, this this was actually really funny. I'm not going to lie. Uh, okay, so okay. Uh, I went like, I saw Francis. So it says, uh, what does it say? Francis Ford Coppola a Presents. Presents. Yeah. Okay. And I, as soon as I saw it, I went, oh, is this a film by Francis Ford Coppola? Oh my God. How long is this film? So I like, I pressed down on the button because Mr. Coppola, you do have a reputation of making really long <laughs> Long, long Long movies. movies. Fair enough. And I was like, I cannot sit here for four hours today. I'm sorry. (laughs) I have stuff to do. Thankfully, pressed down on it. An hour and 26 minutes. I was like, all right, Jake. You've sold me for so far. 86 minutes. (laughs) It's not too long. That's that's okay. I sit down. (laughs) And then I hear weird tribal music. And them saying, was it? So, yeah, got C. And I was like, all right, well, this is cool. This is a bit different, but. Uh, it's a bit different, he says. And <laughs> then uh, there were some landscape shots, and yeah. I was like, all right, we're setting something up. We're going for it. We're going for it. And it just. Oh, we're flying around now. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then there, then there was a, a, a dude sitting on a beach. <laughs> you know what I would really like? I would really have liked to watch this film high. <laughs> I've read I've read comments of people who totally watch this film high and this, says the best moments of their lives. This film is a cooked film. <laughs> that's going to be that's my short short log line Put it on your analysis Instagram review. Yeah, this I <laughs> this gotta, film is good. <laughs> and the funny thing is, it's like the last couple of weeks. So we've talked about. I, I definitely have got to the point where I've treaded water with my three sixty five. Right. I'm sitting in a, in the hundred and sixties. I mm. watch one new film a week, and that new film is normally this film yeah, that we talk about in this room. Yep. Especially for the last two weeks, because um, the weeks before that I'd see the film before. I've been but, doing better lately. Um, I'm I'm gonna try and get back into it uh, mm. this week. May I, I won't ever get to 365 unless I watch. I think it's like two films a day for the it's rest of the. It's physically possible, but yeah, it's not. If, fun. Yeah, if I had nothing else on, yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, um, <man>. But <laughs> um, this film, I really this is the first film in this entire list of films I've watched this year. So uh, 160 something films okay. I've watched this year. I wish I was on drugs watching it. <laughs> um, because I made a joke to you in the car oh that my it's God, like... I laughed. I laughed a lot. I thought this film could have been directed by Shutterstock. <laughs> 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 Which is mean to say, because I know this film is trying to say oh, something. Oh, shit, that was funny. But though. it comes back to... This is my thing with film. It's a very subjective <laughs> genre, Jake. Yeah. But what well, poetic docos specifically? Just no, just film in general okay. is a subjective medium. Yeah. You know, you can gotcha. have 
anything from a, f- a film like Tickled yep. to a film like this film. I mm. wanted to say the name. I'm too scared to pronounce it. Koya Nascutsi. Koya Nascutsi. Yeah. Um, the, I practiced all week, everyone. <laughs> I have watched films like this in the past. You and haven't? All, no, I have. Okay. Um, poetic films. Yes. Yeah. And they've, I've never really... They've just never clicked. I get what they're trying to say. Okay. But it's not what I... I don't go... I, I can't imagine sitting... Could you imagine sitting in a theatre and watching this film? Here's the thing. I kind of can. Because... I mean, that's the whole thing. You t- you put yourself back in... Nine, and and I, I have a whole history with this film I want to get into in a minute, but I'll yep. talk about the context of, like, this film is... And they say it in the trailer. It's something along the lines of, like, this is the true experience of visual and audio coming together. Mm. So I picture this watching this in a theatre with a live orchestra doing that soundtrack. Ooh, that actually that, would be pretty That's cool. what this was for. And a lot of... That was what kind of the, the deal was at the time. And even now, it's really hard to get a hold of this film. I actually am going to talk about how I got a hold of this film in time for us to do this show. Because you can technically go on like an Amazon or eBay and find... There's actually a trilogy of these films. This is the first of three films that released over 20 years. So, Zeke just looks at me and shakes his head. <laughs> um, I could not imagine. Like, I seriously... I I just don't know. Okay, I just, I, I, I wanted to, I said to you in the car when we yeah. were coming over, I was like, I'm not sure what to say about this film because I can't say anything particularly negative about it because there's some gorgeous shots in mm. here. And yeah. you're, you're 100% right, listening, watching this film with a live orchestra would be amazing because you have a live orchestra in front of you performing yeah. to images that are, most of them are either pretty cool or like really cinematic and really sweet, but uh, I don't do I I don't know I always struggle with poetic docos. That's fair. And poetic films, like a lot of like, uh, you know the the French that sort of French New Wave fifties sixties where it's like, dude who walks around city and doesn't do anything he just right. walks. We you even mentioned um, uh, what's his name in the car, um, Blue Velvet dude. How much? Oh, um, David Lynch. David Lynch, that's it. Yep. Yeah, and he's the same. Uh, the, the the joke with the Blue Velvet podcast was we hate we all collectively hated Blue Velvet. That's and he finally publicly announces yeah, this. Took thirty two <laughs> episodes of this podcast to talk uh, about my last and podcast. twenty from the last one. Yeah, yeah. so fifty two. Um, there was a Blue Velvet um shout out in um Shriekers. Oh, okay. Yeah, she mentions it in the Doco. Okay. I don't like those types of films. I don't... I I get sort of they're doing an alternative way of saying stuff that other movies have said mm. with dialogue and they're trying to take the dialogue away or they're trying to say it alternatively. But yep. the fact of the matter is it just doesn't resonate with me. This film... It's like, what's your favorite? I know it. I don't want... That's the worst part. I'm like, I want to walk away from this and go, what was my favorite part of this film? I don't know, every time the tribe kicked up and said the name of the film, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> like, when that, that real, that sad-looking dude was crossing the, like, the crosswalk and he turned to sort of look at the camera and he was, like, really grumpy-looking. I noticed that a lot. The, this, cause this is the first time I've watched it from start to finish. I've seen this, like, 
giant chunks of this film yeah. many times. First time I watched it from start to finish, I noticed a lot of, a lot of people like looking at the camera being like, Oi, what are you doing? Yeah. I thought that was quite funny. There's actually a thing here, um, I'm using Wikipedia, mm-hmm. apologies, that actually mentions about the dialogue specifically or their, the lack of. And um, it's the director of the film, and he explains uh, the lack of dialogue by, quote, it's not for lack of love of the language that these films have no words. It's because, from my point of view, our language is in a state of vast humiliation. It no longer describes the world in which we live in. Or maybe he means humanization. I'm not too sure about that one. Um, so it was definitely a very um, direct choice for the message I was trying to go to, to take away. The, v, the VO, the voice of God, the yeah. dialogue, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it is a ballsy choice because you're right, it's very abstract. Well, yes, it's the person that he's looking at as if the voice of God is the one to drive meaning and also tell the viewer what we're supposed to feel. Hmm. Whereas if you put a collection of images in order, um, but don't really show a desired conveyed meaning within those images, then you make your own meaning up. It comes back to what we do as humans when we read a book. Hmm. When I read a book and then you read the same book, Let's say we let's say for instance uh, we're both reading like uh, Twilight. Oh, okay. I was gonna do like of mice and men. So we went, <laughs> we went like we were in different totally pages different things. We'll but, take your example. Okay, so let's take like of mice and men. So when George is about to kill Lenny, spoiler, it's oh, a it's a eight year old eight year old novella. I remember they describe it. They're next to a stream, and he's got the gun, and he's like, "Tell me about the rabbits, George." And and then <laughs> that's it. Sorry, uh, I just connected a Walking Dead reference then about the rabbits. You know, that's I can totally yeah look at the flowers. Yeah, that is it, flowers, totally yeah. that is totally a rip off of Off Mice exactly and Men. Exactly what I just thought of there. Like they they <laughs> one guy on set was reading Off Mice and Men, and he was next to the script writer, and he was like. Wait look, a sec. Look, and that's look, one of the best episodes of Walking Dead. Look, that's a good episode. I'll talk about that when I get to season four. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, God. Oh, God. Um, no. Oh, God. But honestly, um, I read that scene, you read that scene. We both have, we both see George and Lenny, even though we're described, George looks like this and Lenny looks like this. Facially, like, the real minute details, we fill the blanks in ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Take a, a a biography. I was I've been reading the Robin Williams biography yeah. when he talks about where he grew up and they talk about the the estate and this attic they used to be in by himself and do all these characters mm. to. It's like I picture that little boy in the attic doing the voices as described, but I'm picturing like my version of that truth and someone else would be pitching another version, and I, I love that. And this sort of film is basically going. We have a we have an intended meeting on this mm. meeting, but if you wa- you're watching this and you're going to get your own unique element of that truth, yeah, um, your own way of saying this is what I perceive this film to be about. Some will look at it and go, "It's just a collection of images," and and then some Shutterstock from Shutterstock, <laughs> and then Getty Images. Some overread it and think it's the most revolutionary thing since sliced bread. <laughs> Every, but, from now on, every time you use the sliced bread like analogy, I just lose it because yeah. I think of that Snapchat of you running around with your arms flailed like fucking um, like a uh, Kermit the Frog being like, "This is the best thing to slice bread." <laughs> <laughs> That's my go-to. Yeah, but I don't know. I just I get it, and I do like I like that statement that you mm. brought up about it because it's it's true. It's 
he clearly has a thing he wants to say and he thinks this is the best way of saying it. And you you got to respect a visionary for that. Do I think general audiences are going to enjoy this film? Probably not. Mm. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine taking a girl to watch this movie. <laughs> like, had, this is like, not the best we date from, movie. We went from like, I think the last two movies have been like, so Once Upon a Time and this one have been like oh, two yeah. of the worst dating movies you could go to on the planet. <laughs> like, you imagine going to see, what is it? Koya Nascutsi. Yeah, it's Koya Nascutsi. Maybe going, hey girl, do you want to come see Koya Nascutsi? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna next person I see, I'm gonna ask them on a date. And at first, they the they Koya buy into it laptop. because you sound alternative as fuck. Yeah, because it's like, oh, that sounds like a foreign film. <laughs> oh, he must be really it's actually an American film, <laughs> right? Uh, he must be really educated and smart because he wants to go watch a foreign film, and it's at Luna, which is like the niche. Yeah, watch it at Luna. Yeah. Um, and then you go sit down and then images <laughs> part playing and she's like, she's too nervous to ask you like, what's going on? <laughs> cause she thinks, cause you're sitting there with your hand on your chin going like, yes, <sighs> yes. This image right here. symbolizes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I'm laughing, but I, I do love this movie a lot. And, um, I do, I want to get into some of the history I have with it. Yeah, how I because um because Jack mentioned it last week he had a couple of comments on before we finished the show because he's he knows of this film I don't know if he's seen it yeah. fully whatever must be quite a big cult film then it's I guess. definitely a huge cult film for sure um we both found out through high school and yeah. this film was actually mentioned in my two hundred four doco um class last year I don't know because we had different tutors in our doco classes mm-hmm. but I don't know if you had this mentioned at all. Um, we definitely had a chunk of it shown here, but I actually watched the majority of the film for the first time in high school. So if this was our docker class, it probably would have been year 12 when this happened. I Well, we came in and we were doing our docker semester sort of thing. And my, my teacher, Mr. Anderson, a little shout out to Mr. Anderson, he says, all right, we're going to put this docker in. Uh, I think he said it was a docker or a film or whatever it was. And he said, and he's like, I just want you guys to just watch it. Like, don't say anything. Just interpret what's going on. And I want to see how long it takes for you to kind of figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. That was his little proposal. So he starts the film. And what happens, which I imagine kind of what happened with you at first, and even now, me knowing what the film is, I still got that gut feeling of, oh, now it's going to cut to the VO or it's going to cut to the plot, you know. But it just it holds on these wide establishing mm-hmm. shots of these canyons and bushland and all this stuff for a while. And I think it was about 25 minutes before our class started being like, what's going on here? <laughs> we got shown, I remember my high school, we got shown, yeah. I've got to find the name for it, but we also got shown, because this is surrealism. It's surrealist doco or okay. poetic doco. Yeah, poetic in that doco. same vein. Yeah, We got shown, it wasn't a doco. It was a, like, we just got shown like surrealist stuff. I'll get mm. the name of it, but... Um, I remember watching Surrealist. I've never been like super huge fan of like too much Surrealist stuff, to be right. honest. Um, I like some of it. I don't like all of it. Like uh, Doco wise, honestly, have not been exposed to many. If this might be maybe my first Surrealist Doco. I've watched Surrealist Fair enough, yeah, drama, but Doco, yeah, I can't think of one that even remotely comes close to this experience. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't want to say like sound like 
I hated on this film. I definitely didn't. Um, actually, it's quite soothing, and I know okay. it's not supposed to be, but it's kind of just sort of because you are you're sort of waiting for something to just happen, and it doesn't. Do I think this film is amazing? I, I it's I can't I can't even gauge it because I haven't got, I don't think I've got a scale to gauge it on. Like mm. if normally when you compare a film, you compare it to the film of that genre, films yeah. that are associated similarly to it but aren't it, and then you sort of start to build a scale around that. Um, this film is a piece of art for a reason, but I don't think this film is going. It's not one that would be commercially enjoyed. It's definitely. Mm earns its cult status and personally think it's kind of, um, I don't know. I, I always have a problem with these types of film, Jake, because they feel like they're films that are designed for filmmakers. Mm. And I'm not always a big fan of sort of that upper no, like snooty nose okay. film culture where there is a, there is a problem amongst film people where in a, in a film community where, Films like this one inc- make you feel like, or try and make you justify to yourself that you're smarter than what you actually are, because okay. you're seeing something that a general viewer wouldn't see, right. which I think's wrong, because what you're doing there is just segregating your audience from the people. Literally, the filmmakers are segregating the people they're supposed to be selling their movie to. Um, mm. uh, this is a good example of all, like an auteur um, wanting his his way and his way of going about it. But I can't imagine talking to my friend that has nothing to do with film about this movie. Right. With the exception of he would probably be smoking a lot of weed <laughs> to watch this film. <laughs> I'm sure we could find a few people. <laughs> I could probably find a few for that. Yeah. No, well, look, I, look, I completely understand where that comes from. In that sense, I mean, I feel, I feel, I come from a place where it's like I think there's a place for every kind of movie, mm-hmm. and I can, I can see that perspective of this being kind of one of those like, oh, well, it's very abstract, bit snooty, and you're right, you can't really just walk up to anyone, as opposed to like, oh, well, virtually everyone I've met has mm-hmm. has seen Endgame, so we can all talk about Endgame or the new Tarantino film. Like most people have seen the new Tarantino film within like a day of it coming out. Yeah. So you know you can have that commonality there. Not a lot of people would go, you know, you're right. It's, it's a com- being able to commercially sell the film mm-hmm. and which audience is it garnered to. Um, even though I like to attach context to film, I feel like that context is, at least in the way I enjoy it, kind of irrelevant to me because I, I, I know where they came from in this place. And, like, they've they've done stuff like... What's that? Is it Baraka? Is that the other film that's very similar to this where it's it's the same thing? It's shots and soundtrack and they're just married together um which is i think that was 2002 okay um so a bit more recent i think that one might actually be a little more popular maybe not i don't know um but i don't know with this film it comes from a place of like i'm I'm not really concerned about who to talk to about this i just the experience engulfs me Mm -hmm. the shots are just like i mean you said they're, they're fantastic and there's when you do a movie like this that you t- you strip away all these other elements and all you have left is your cinematography and your soundtrack. So you best hope they're both really darn mm. good. And I think in this case, they are both really darn yeah, good. Absolutely. Um, so I, I do think that that carries the film in the sense that, yeah, there's some up and down parts, 
this I think the I think the opening's actually quite slow. Mm-hmm. I was a little worried about that, and knowing that you were going to watch it, I was like, the first like ten minutes is actually nowhere near as good as the rest of the, and you need that to juxtapose yeah. um like nature to society and what humans mm-hmm. do, and I, some of the juxtaposition with the shots they do with the industry stuff of like the sausages spitting out the machine, and then um, even the military stuff with the, all the tanks lined up is just incredible. Um, and then, of course, transportation with cars and planes. I mean, I'm love all that. I'm but... honestly, I love that you've brought this to the show because I like mm. doing these sort of juxtaposed weeks where you'll have someone like Tarantino, who was indie, now is far from indie. Yep. He is very much, com- you know, commercially recognised. He is very much Hollywood right yeah. now, and countering them with. An episode like this, just as a couple of weeks ago, we did Blue Jay with, mm. uh, trying to re- well, we did Blue Jay Pulp Fiction back to back, right? Yeah, and even um, we did uh, Lion King back to back with Once. Yeah. So yeah. So I like having that, that counter, and I like I also like going up to more general like people that are just normal moviegoers and being really excited to tell them about this indie film that they have to mm. watch. Yeah. The other day, I got into a conversation with um, one of the people that works here at Murdoch about Roma. Um, oh man, I want to rewatch Roma so badly. And we were we had a full conversation about Roma and mm. and um, all of that. And then I was and what did I do? I recommended Private Life. Like, very nice, very nice. As a follow up, yeah. I was like, because I love feeding, you know, the the indie machine because mm. it's like. I'd love to give more mainstream exposure to films that do something different, things yeah. like Private Life or Blue Jay or Once that have been kind of lost. And it's great that you're digging up a film from 1982. I mean, mm-hmm. I think this is the second or third oldest film we've done. If you know uh, what, excluding Other Side of the Wind. Yeah. That really screws with us, that film. Yeah, because <laughs> of the... the Timeline-wise, yeah. If it, then it's the oldest it would be the oldest, yeah, if it wasn't for that. Because I think Pulp Fiction was our oldest at 94 otherwise. Oh, okay. So yeah, we're really going to push. We're slowly for, getting backwards, back. yeah. Um, um, we're getting there. Well, we actually have some big plans for you guys in our Christmas area of stuff, yeah. which we'll get to down the line. Yeah, Christmas. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> our Christmas present to you. No worries. Um, but, but yeah, but um, before we start to wrap up, I want to talk a bit about how we got access to this film. Because I'm not, I'm not ashamed to talk about it because I'm actually a little proud of how I managed to do this. Yep, yep. Now, like I said, you can buy this on Amazon, uh, eBay. What you can actually buy is the, the, the whole trilogy of these three films, this one included, in a Blu-ray slash DVD set, mm-hmm. which I'm going to do soon because I want to watch the other two and I really do like this film. We didn't have time for that. We didn't have time to wait for the shipping or anything like that. Yep. So I was like, all right, how are we going to get a hold of this film? Because it was a little harder than I thought it would be. I thought mm-hmm. JB and all that would be onto it because it's a cult film at the end of the day. Yeah. Alas, it was not as easy to find as I thought. So I took to good old YouTube. You can watch this film in parts. There's like a 10 part broken up in 10 minutes mm-hmm. per part on YouTube. But some of the parts are uh, broken links or because of copyright, they're not available here. So yeah. it's all fragmented. It's not good. What I found though is that someone uploaded this film in reverse. So if you go on YouTube, you can watch this film played in reverse. So it actually starts up with the credits, the crawl, and then plays the film backwards. So the very first shot is of the exploding rocket. Uh, and then it goes all backwards and stuff. So people have their own thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. I've heard some people actually watch that version first, 
not realizing that it was an alternate version of the That's film. That's pretty cool. That is so cool, eh? And of course, they were all high as well. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about that. Um, so what film I did, is such a high film. <laughs> we got to go high and rewatch this. I think eh? we do actually. Oh, it'll be so good. Um, so I ripped that YouTube video and then re-reversed it in my editing software, then exported it, and bada bing, bada boom, bingo bongo, it worked. Amazing. So that's how me and Zico have watched it. Yep. That was good. Cheers, mate. That was a that was a fun like little test of yeah. trials to get through. Honestly, I, yeah. I like I, I did enjoy it. I would just love to be enjoying this film. I reckon how you should enjoy this film. <laughs> not that I'm endorsing it or anything. Uh, I'm endorsing not. it. You're talking about the orchestra, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah Honestly, yeah. if yeah. I if they had an orchestral like screening of this film, I'd totally go see it. I it's probably we're probably a little too late to the party on that yeah. one, I'm guessing. But that you're right, that would have been amazing. Um, all right. Well, I think if we shift into our final part of the thing, as opposed to our favorite scene, I want to ask you what your favorite shot is. Okay. I'm glad you did that because <laughs> scene. there's no scenes in this film. Not um, really. I really liked, it was about 20 something minutes in okay. and they did a collection You're of... You're leaning towards what I'm thinking of, I think. Uh, an aerial drone sequence. It was a lot of... Uh, okay. Uh, it was sw- kind of swooping around the valley sort of shots. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Um, so it's before we get to the community of people. I think it's actually, yeah, it's literally the last sequence before then. I think the music actually dramatically shifts on that shot. Yeah. Bum, 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 bum. It's all on Spotify. It's so good, that soundtrack. So that's the shot you when it kind of pro- swings yeah. across the canyons and stuff. Yeah, I think it's with the music. Yeah. Gives me, like, spirit vibes, which is a really good animation but it had nice, those sort nice. of sweeping camera shots that... I mean, the... that's the first time in the film that it really, like, lifts up in that way. Yeah. It's almost like, turns. oh, you guys were asleep, you fools. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I think the, fir- the first part of this film is actually way slower than the rest. Once the music goes crazy... It's and, meant and to we be, get... though. Yeah, it, exactly. It doesn't right. work if it wasn't slow. Yeah, it has to have that opening, I think. Um, I do love that final shot, but I think my favourite shot... Um, it goes by not very quickly, but it's also not very long. It's about 28 minutes in mm-hmm. where it's exploring kind of the, the city. And I think we're like near Los Angeles for mm-hmm. a lot of the city stuff. It's this shot. It's kind of this flat tripod shot of essentially every mode of transportation is in this shot. And you see the freeway where there's cars coming. And it's a, it's a flat landscape shot. So the freeway is like, like a vertical free- freeway. You see the cars coming by. You see buses coming by. There's a plane that cuts through the shot at one point. And I'm pretty sure there's people on bikes. Mm. So it's like this one six, seven second shot of just like every mode of transportation via machine. That's crazy. Is all in one shot. I was like, holy shit. That's probably my favorite shot. And a, and a shout out to um the time lapse of the, the girl or the mother with her two kids watching the TV like Stonewall and it's like time lapsing mm. all the TVs around her illuminating and that that's a classic and that was that was redone in a itchy and scratchy episode on the Simpsons. Yeah. There's actually a whole 2 minute Jake's, parody of uh, this Simpson quote of the week. <laughs> the Simpsons actually parodied this a few times. There's a joke of Willie getting high watching this movie on his phone or something like that. That doesn't surprise me. Oh, <laughs> well, it might be Otto. Sorry, it's Otto getting high. That makes, it's, that makes it's sense. It's such yeah. Maybe if I if that ever happens, I shall uh, re-inform people of my opinion. <laughs> but I have a feeling it's not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? 
No, well, a that's, that's all I have to say on that, Jakey boy. So, yeah, no, Coronascutzi. Uh, a little hard to obtain, but if you search on the Amazons or the interwebs, you can definitely order this film. I highly recommend it. Uh, Zeke, you're kind of flippant. Well, it depends. Depends what state of mind you're in. <laughs> but um, if you really are desperate, you can also rip that backwards reverse video. The film's old enough where I feel like I can say that and not get in trouble. Fun mm-hmm. fact, because of a lot of copyright issues, this film was actually out of print for the majority of the 90s. Wow. And my guess is because there's a lot of ads and people's mm-hmm. faces and a lot of stuff they probably didn't clear. So that's probably why. But um, that's why I don't feel bad about that. Well, it didn't have a big budget either. So Do you know what the budget was? It was like 2.9. 2 million. Not too shabby. Oh, no, it was Baraka. Ah, well, it's probably, this one's probably less than... Uh, Baraka, I feel like, didn't have as much to prove than this film did. I know this film is directed by Godfrey uh, Reggio, the cinematographer and writer. Uh, made 3.2 at the box office. Ah, very nice. Uh, cannot locate a budget, unfortunately. Oh, I'm sure it made a profit of some sort, so it was probably closer to 1.5 or 2 million. Started shooting in 75, apparently. Oh my god! I didn't even know that. I knew it took a while to shoot it, but wow. Yeah. That's what seven years prior. That's insane. Man, that's crazy. Written and cinematography by Ron Frickle, and the yeah, soundtrack 75. was by Philip Glass. So there you go. There we go. Well, yeah, it's out in various forms. You just got to obtain it <laughs> one way or another. Find it one Jake, way. What or is another. new in the cinemas this week in Australia? Um. Some interesting stuff. Nothing that stands out in my in my humble opinion. Half my page isn't loaded. What the what in the world? I want to refresh my, my oh there we go. It was weird. Mm. Uh what is out? So we got some films. We've got Amazing Grace. Mm-hmm. Which I would that be a doco, I guess? I'm trying to I haven't open, heard of it. I'm trying to open now. Um yes, it's a documentary um about live gospel album. Recorded, oh my god, I got some notifications on my phone. Recorded over two days in January 1972. Nice. Very interesting. Uh, we got Balloon, Dogman, Dragged <laughs> Across. Dogman? You want to hear more about Dogman? Sure. Apparently it's 2018. Film. Is he a furry? Uh, I don't know. You tell me. Um, let's see. Uh, all right. nominated uh, revenge drama set in Rome's crisis written outskirts inspired by a homicide committed by a coked out dog groomer during his, during the late 1980s holy that crap is real depressing that is intense that's not what I thought <laughs> um, a few other things dragged across concrete dying to survive exit uh, Kursik I don't know the kitchen and the nightingale so not a lot of Great stuff. So we've got stuff coming mm. out. I think It is just around the corner. The Naked it Wanderer, is. which is a Australian films around the corner as well. Yeah. But are not you next are week. You know people from that one, right? Uh, sort of. If you watch my Backlot promotional video, they mentioned The Naked Wanderer. They were involved in the post-production mm. for that. Pretty and, groovy. But uh, I'll talk a bit more about that next week because it's coming out the week after next week, I think. Mm. So, but Jake, what are we watching next week? Yeah, I don't know because it's just, it's just a bunch of stuff that I don't think we're too interested in. No. We might as well... Just continue to go back in time with some of that. I think so. I think we should also switch it up a little bit mm. and go from that sort of meditative, experimental, poetic documentary <laughs> to something a little bit more action-packed. Mm. So, Jake, we are watching The Matrix.
dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? Neo believes that Morpheus, an elusive figure considered to be the most dangerous man alive, can answer his question. What is the Matrix? Neo is contacted by Trinity, a beautiful stranger who leads him into an underworld where he meets Morpheus. That's a really weird logline. That's like, I don't even know. It was like another sentence after that, but it didn't add anything. It just explained a bit of the plot. Well, that was even like um, the one we just did. Like, I skipped half of it because it was like, yes, it shots. But anyway, that was a little weird for me because I've never actually seen The Matrix before. Yes, this is why we're doing this film. I only watched The Matrix for the first time, I think, a year or two ago. And wow, I've I only watched that. it once. I've never seen two or three. But... Uh, our, our lovable friend, Jack Bet, ZKJ alumni, uh, <laughs> has been ranting and raving to me about action for the last couple of weeks. And On the show? Off the show. No, but um, like about but, the show. Yeah, he's like, he would love to do a more action-based film. And this kind of gets the best of both worlds in the words of Hannah Montana. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So what a sick uh, reference, bro! It's like um, it's like uh, what's his name? And the, the this is the end. Oh, you got the you got the the, the best references, mate. Yeah. <laughs> so next week we'll be watching the Matrix and looking into uh, I guess it's the Wachowski sisters now, siblings. I don't want them got a sex change. Um, wait, what are we what are we talking about? The Wachowskis. We'll just call them that. Um. Yeah, because it's directed by the Wachowskis. Oh, okay. Um, and their revolutionary film siblings. at the turn of the century. They're siblings. This is... Uh, <laughs> it's actually the 20th anniversary of The Matrix this year, too. Oh, there you go. And they announced officially they're doing a Matrix 4 one with pretty much the entire cast back. So, yeah. Uh, we'll be watching that next week on the show. I feel like that news got, like, so buried under every, all the Spider-Man stuff, yeah, because all, all the, the Spider-Man MCU stuff. stuff. A Breaking Bad movie got announced officially. Uh, Mandalorian trailer came out. I didn't even watch it. I just oh, I maybe want to get Disney Plus. Which I, is the worst. I'm trying to not get Disney Plus so badly. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jack. And we'll catch you next week with The Matrix. Bum, 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 bum. I don't know what The Matrix sounds like. <laughs>